how you guys doing? Good? Yeah? We're starting a new series tonight. We're going to be talking about hospitality. So here's the disclaimer on this series right up front. There's some subjects that we cover that are really intellectual. There's some subjects we cover that maybe we're talking about the roles of Christians in culture or maybe looking at the origin of our scriptures. This is not one of those series. This series is actually one that goes more to the heart. This is a very pastoral series. It's a very personal series. And I'm gauging it for us personally. I think what I want this series to be is something that's going to help us to work on the condition of our hearts. Now, to work on the condition of our hearts, we still need some information. Because we know that even transformation comes from the renewing of our minds. So that there's still a part that our minds have to play in the way that we're transformed. So that is going to be there in this series. I just want us to understand that we're going to be wrestling not so much with our minds. We're going to be wrestling with our hearts. You know, this is kind of like a series on money. The concepts are not that hard to understand. What is difficult is to see them through. What's difficult is to recognize that our heart is going to wrestle with some of these concepts. So what I would say to you right now is, would you check your heart? Many of the things we're going to struggle with intellectually are not really that hard to understand. They are hard to implement. They're hard to really do with our whole heart. And so we have to be careful in a series like this to actually look and say, what is it that I'm struggling with? Is it really the concept or is it really my heart? Most of the times when we struggle with our heart, it's disguised as a rationalization or something that is of your mind. But just check that for a moment. So that's kind of where we're starting with that. And if you don't mind, let me pray to get us started. God, I want this series to be honoring of the time that we're going to put into it. And I want this series also to penetrate deep. And both those things are things that you assist us with when we put this in front of you. Lord, thank you for what you've given us just in this place to meet, in this place to wrestle. And I pray that what's produced here, the fruit that's produced, is something that will really change our hearts. It's not just something that we will understand. It will actually start to lay bare the places that we need to work on the condition of our own heart. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I thought we would actually start by justifying why even study the subject of hospitality. Why are we doing this series? I feel like we haven't done this in a while where we actually spend some time just justifying the reason for it. And tonight is more of an introduction of the topic. I'm going to throw out some concepts and I'd like to hear back how you respond to some of them. So feel free, like always, jump in at any time. Why study the subject of hospitality? The first reason is that by and large, I think Americans do not really understand hospitality. Even as I say the word hospitality, I think many of us are probably thinking more about the idea of entertaining maybe of being generous with friends of some kind. But it isn't really the same thing. And we're going to define it a little bit more in the coming weeks. But I at least want you to feel that my proposition is, I don't think Americans understand it. You'll see a little bit more of it as I go along why I feel that way. Second of all, as a church, not just as Americans, but specifically as a church, we've lost the practice of hospitality. Hospitality used to be central to the church. Hospitality came as natural to Christians as prayer. 
it should be as native to us as any other practice, but it's one that we've lost along the way. Part of the reason for that is this point. Because we've substituted programs and institutions for true hospitality. Let me just give you an example of what that means, so I'm not saying anything abstract. You know, the word hospitality, the same root word, gives us words like hospital and a hospice. If you think of a hospital right now, you don't think of that taking place in someone's home. And yet it began there. That's where hospitals began. In the community where people cared for their own. Today we've institutionalized hospitality. If you need care, if you need hospice care, you're going to go to some place where there's a professional who does that. And we've reduced, we've flattened that relationship to a giver of care and a receiver of care and that's all that's going on. The same is true with all the expressions of hospitality. You'll start to see that we've kind of lost many of them from what they used to be. So those are three reasons I think we need to do this. So as we see that we don't get it, the church has kind of lost it, we've substituted and changed what it means. You rub that against this. I still think it's central. That's why we need to study it. And if you look back at the early church for the first three or four centuries, hospitality was central to the gospel itself. It's how it was communicated. If you ever think like, how did the gospel spread from this little place? I don't mean like just why was it so compelling? I mean, what medium? How physically did the gospel spread? It was spread because people took it from home to home as they traveled around and received and gave hospitality. That's how it spread. Even the missionary journeys that we read about from Paul's missionary journeys and others, people had to receive those people in hospitality. And we skim over sometimes in the book of Acts the number of acts of hospitality that led to the gospel spreading. Those are just some reasons I think it would be important for us in general to understand it. Comment? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with substituting programs and institutions, are you I don't think you're saying that it's bad that we have hospitals, right? Are you just simply saying that those sort of things have caused us to now not be hospitable as well as, hey, you know, now we have institutional hospitals? I mean, is that, I'm trying to follow your argument, or are you actually saying we shouldn't have hospitals? I'm not saying we shouldn't have hospitals, but I would say that we lost something when we had hospitals. We also gained some very good things, like having professionals who do those things, right? But there is some loss, and the loss may be the way that people treat one another, the way that you are treated when you go to a hospital. I'm not saying you're treated badly, but there's a loss there of the kind of relationship that used to exist around the care of others. Think about it more clearly in hospice care, like the way that we treat even the elderly, even those who are infirm for long periods of time, how that used to have been done, which we'll talk about, and how it's kind of become more institutionalized. The other thing about programming is we have that problems in, in the church. Like it used to be that hospitality was a natural outflow of the community and now we program it. We have to create programs to make it happen and that changes the nature. This question over here, Jason. Are you talking specifically about the American church or the American Protestant church? Um, or are you kind of more generalizing it worldwide or throughout different denominations? 
worldwide, the church lost a sense of hospitality over the centuries. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain that later. But hospitality used to reside right in people's homes within the church. Over time, it started to move away. It started to become an official function of the church, and it was withdrawn. I mean, if you look even, and there's a long history going from the 4th, 5th century all the way into like the Reformation period where, for example, hospitality was the province of the bishop of the church, right? And the bishop became wealthier and wealthier on the basis that they would provide hospitality, but the people withdrew and the church stopped doing it, right? So, yes, worldwide it has been lost in its original form, but even more punctuated in the latter parts of the last you know, number of centuries and even more punctuated in American churches. Where, so it's all of those, but I'm actually going to focus more on the American church in general. Okay? Now, of course, there are exceptions. Right? And there are actually practitioners of hospitality now that try to reclaim this. So I can't just say, like, it's gone. But I'm trying to put up some really broad strokes as to why this is kind of important to do. All right, let's not get too theoretical. Why should Exodus study hospitality? Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. I just have three reasons for this. One, I think modeling hospitality has not been enough for us as a group. At the beginning of this year, when we gave a preview of the things we were going to talk about this year, one of the things that I was saying was that this year, we really need to focus on becoming more hospitable and learning hospitality. And Morgan called it out right. He said, maybe we need to teach on it rather than just exhort people and model it. Modeling hospitality in this group has consisted of a couple of things, but I'll talk about one tonight. It's personal to us. You know that for the last three years, we've opened up our home every Wednesday night, except those periods that we take breaks, so that we can cook dinner for everyone in the group and have people over to spend time intimately in our home, sharing food, and then spending time in small groups and prayer and all the things that we're doing to grow together. That's been an effort to specifically model hospitality, although I will tell you that is not the sum total of what hospitality is. It's just an expression of it, hoping that somehow in our group this would catch on. And I feel like one of the reasons to do this, and I'm speaking about this pastorally, personally, is because I feel like no matter how much of a model we've done, we need to actually teach on it as well to help spur you on and encourage you. A second thing I've noticed in Exodus is we've been trying to build what we call community without actually practicing hospitality. You get to a place where you can't build anymore. You kind of stop at a certain point if you're trying to build community without practicing hospitality. In fact, community without hospitality, I would almost argue, equals a program because it only can go so far before you get to the next level of breaking it down and saying, we need to now live in a way with one another, and that's what community normally means, but you can't do that without some measure of hospitality. Here's the third reason. As I said when we started, I think the condition of our heart is totally laid bare when we deal with hospitality. As we discuss hospitality, I expect that you will struggle with possession. You will struggle with the boundaries. You will struggle with limits. You'll struggle with the things that tug at our hearts that seem to make sense, like safety. You will struggle even with your desire to remain private. Those are the kinds of things that I expect could come out of talking about hospitality. Again, it's the same thing like talking about money. The concepts are not that difficult sometimes to understand when we talk about giving, but it's the struggle that we end up dealing with. The struggle to hold on, the struggle to clench, 
rather than to open our hand to one another. And those are the personal reasons, I think, that it'll make some sense. Okay? All right. So let me just back us up now that I've kind of given you some reasons. I kind of have a theory. You tell me if you buy this theory. My theory is that you can establish that Americans are not that hospitable. And the way you can do that is because of the way that wherever we travel, wherever we go, whoever we meet, we always come back with amazing stories about how hospitable everyone is. So no matter what country you end up with, you seem to think, wow, those people are so hospitable. I've talked to people who've gone to a lot of different countries and a lot of different continents, and the chorus is the same. Those people were so amazing. They gave us everything they had. They let us sleep in their beds while they slept on the floors. They had nothing to eat, and they shared with us everything they had. You ever heard those stories? I bet you if, you, if I asked you where you heard those stories from and what countries there were, they'd all be all different countries. And so my theory seems to be that if that's true, if all of us have gone to different places and come back and we report the same thing, then it's very possible that maybe the reason that is is because the rest of the world is so much more hospitable than we are, or we just don't really understand how to practice hospitality as a people. And that's the reason that those stories are so common. Could it be that everyone is just that much more hospitable than we are? All right, here's a quiz to ask you just to get your take. What's the opposite of hospitality? Let's talk about what it isn't. What would you say the opposite of hospitality would be? A word that comes to mind. Hostility. Hostility. Hoarding. 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 Selfishness. Selfishness. What else? Isolation. Greediness. Greediness. What else? Private. Private. Distancing. Distancing. The first one that came to my mind was selfishness, right? You're, you're contrasting like hospitality with selfishness. And I, I don't mean to th that any of those answers that you gave, I think they're all right on. I think the one that struck me the most, though, when I thought about this was private. Like, I think there's something about privacy that drives out hospitality. I don't think it's the exact opposite. It's just one of those words that we don't often think about when you think of what's the opposite of hospitality. You might think, well, hospitality is really about generousness. All this, it is. And selfishness would defeat it. So would all those other things you mentioned. But for some reason, withdrawing into privacy. And maybe that's the reason that Americans have such a hard time with hospitality. Because it requires giving up so much of that privacy. Whether it's private ownership or just the privacy you have in your place, those things matter. Yeah? I like your, I guess, one of those stories, if you will, <laughs> um, that kind of would totally agree with the definition of privacy is uh, when I was in the Dominican, there were a few friends that I had and brought them to my home stay with their parents. And my house mom, if you will, she was basically <laughs> almost in her lingerie when we brought them there. And she's like, oh, come in, come in, and made them sit down and drink juice and all this stuff, like things that you would never even in your wildest dreams imagine happening in America, like with somebody, you know, basically in her nightgown, <laughs> inviting people in and say, oh no, you can't leave, you must come in, like made them sit down and drink juice and then leave, you know, that sort of thing. So I actually really like that. I think private is, is really hot because that's invading privacy. Contrast that with the way we live now. Like, I don't know how you live, but I, I live in a community where people go into their homes through the garage and they never come out, <laughs> right? They don't even want to see anybody, right? They don't want to talk to anybody. We don't want to know everybody. It's not because we're all bad people. It's because everyone just doesn't want to deal with anyone else. 
again, I haven't yet defined hospitality, and it's more than just being friendly to neighbors. But it at least includes that, right? How do I know anything about hospitality myself? Like, where did I get any of my notions of hospitality? I grew up with it in my house. You know, the hospitality of the Greeks, the Turks, the Arabs, the North Africans is infamous as the Mediterranean hospitality. I grew up in the midst of that kind of culture. I grew up in a place where hospitality, there were rules. You understood them, you practiced them. It was almost as important as anything else. You know, when I was growing up, people would come over to our house unannounced. Now, I know that a lot of us think if someone comes over to your house unannounced, like it's rude for them to do that. Like, how could you just come over unannounced? Growing up, somebody coming over to your house unannounced was to be expected. People didn't have to call, they just showed up. And what was rude was not that they showed up, what was rude was not that they expected to eat when they showed up. What was rude was that we weren't expecting them and that we didn't have enough food in the house to feed anybody who would show up. My mom would be so embarrassed that somebody had showed up unexpectedly without us being ready for them that she would grab money from her purse, she would shove it in my hand, I'm like, you know, eight or nine at this point, and she would say, run to the store and grab these things. But run to the store had a special meeting in our house. It meant I had to go out the back door and over the fence, which I was never allowed to do except, except in the hospitality circumstance. I had to go over the back fence, through the back alley, run down the street to the grocery store, then grab all the things she gave me, then come running back over, throw them over the fence, climb over the fence myself, and get back in the house, and here was the key, without anyone knowing that I had done this. Because the highest form of shame or embarrassment was to let the guests know that we had not been ready for them, and that we had to go buy things to feed them. You would never let your guests feel that way, and you would never admit to it. So I became kind of like a stealth CIA agent <laughs> on the way to the grocery store whenever this happened. I grew up in a house where every summer I expected to be thrown out of my room. Every summer I knew that I would not be sleeping in my room, and if we had enough guests coming, my sisters would lose their room as well. We'd all be camped out in the family room. And again, people that we didn't know who were somehow connected to someone we might have known somewhere in the world, who were coming to LA, just were showing up. And we didn't know them. We just knew that it was our responsibility to go get them from the airport, bring them to our house, put them up in my room, of course, always. And I would be camped out in the den, and I would lay there at night, listening through the sliding glass door to the sounds of people telling stories from all over the world. Um, hearing things and hearing stories and hearing about places I'd only dreamed to visit as my parents entertained them late into the night. And this became the summer tradition growing up, was you always knew it was going to happen. And sure, sometimes it happened in winter. There were times when I was even in school and I was taken out of my room for these things because that was just what was traditional. That was the kind of hospitality that I grew up in. There was one time when I was walking through an Arab town in the Middle East, and I was just walking down the street. I'd happened to pass a man who was sitting just on kind of his little porch balcony, and he was just sitting there, an old man, and he stood up as soon as I walked by, and he said in Arabic, Mayil, which means come by, come over, stay. And I said, I'm on my way to meet somebody, and he insisted the second time, you must come in. And he started asking his wife to prepare food. 
And I said, no, 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 I'm on my way somewhere. And he said, you must come in. I insist on it. And again, I said, I really can't come by. Maybe another time. Can you imagine that kind of level of insistence and desire for somebody? I don't know him. He doesn't know me. So let's contrast that with other experiences I had. Some of you may have heard this story. I remember when I was working downtown, one of the elders at my previous church wanted to have a meeting with me, and he said, I want you to come by for this meeting, and do you think you can come by to my house at 7 o'clock? And I said, sure, absolutely. So I drove from downtown L.A., drove all the way down the freeway in traffic, drove all the way as far as possible down the 210 to where this guy lived. It's almost like where the 210 used to end. And I showed up at his house. I walked in. And he sat down. I can tell you this day, I don't remember what the meeting was about. Because what happened next just erased my memory completely. We sat in his kitchen, and he started talking. And his wife came in after a few minutes and said, are you ready? Are you ready for the food? And he said, yes, absolutely, bring it in. And she walked in with a single plate and put it in front of him. And he started to eat. And I was sitting there thinking, this is amazing. Like, I've never seen anything like this. Like, this, is, this has got to be like, I'm on candid camera somehow, right? Like, somebody's <laughs> going to come out in a minute and start laughing at me. And he kept talking. And he kept eating. And I was waiting, like, well, maybe my plate's, like, in the microwave or something's coming next. Like, nothing came. And I just sat there, stunned, trying to understand how this system worked, where it didn't even occur to him that that would be something that he would share or that he wouldn't do in front of someone else who would come in at dinner time at the same place. Maybe you've hung out with other people and watched people at a restaurant pull out calculators to decide who ordered a drink and who didn't, who's going to pay for a meal, who hasn't. How many of you have been servers and decided you'd never serve Christians again, you know, after that was done? How many of you have been to Red Robin and paid $25 for a hamburger? You know, like by the time the bill got divided, no one seemed to know how to do the math. There are so many examples that you could go on and on and on about how little we understand it. But here's the part that tugs at our heart even more. Personally, in this group, not theoretically. Many of you have been in our house so many times I can't count. I have not been to your homes. I've not really been invited to your house. We don't have that kind of sharing relationship. Does that feel heavy? I want to tell you it feels very heavy to say. It's very hard to even say those words, but I feel like we will not understand hospitality unless we bring it home and make it personal. How many times have you invited people into your home to offer them food, shelter, comfort, a retreat from the hassle of the world? Do you do that with only friends or people who might do it to you? Do you do it at all? How do we serve others, even in our own grouping, even on Wednesday nights? Ask yourself, how often is it that you contribute to the gathering that we have? Maybe it's something simple like doing the dishes, or maybe it's something simple like bringing dessert for others, or maybe if you think about the number of times that's been done for you, how many times have you done it in return? And I want to be very clear about something right now. Hospitality, again, is not limited to reciprocity, but it does include it in some way. I'm going to keep saying what it's not limited to, but it includes these things. Another way to say it, as one writer said, is if we cannot be hospitable 
with our friends and the people that we like? How are we going to be hospitable with the stranger, which is really what we're scratching at, to be hospitable in the way that Christ intended for us in the first place requires a love for stranger. And that is hard enough. But I can tell you it will be even harder if we cannot show hospitality with those that we like, those that we sit next to, those that we spend time with, those that we dine with together. If it can't be shown there, we're going to have even a harder time to show it with the stranger. Here are just some verses in the scriptures, by the way, that just kind of give us an intro to hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Notice, he's talking about outside, the people in need, whoever they might be. Hospitality is not limited to what we do with our friends and entertaining. In fact, that's probably the least part of it. Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. A reference to the hospitality shown by Abraham to the men that visited him. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Just some of the few verses that touch on this subject. You know, it's easy for me to make this personal by bringing home hard questions like how often have we reciprocated hospitality among each other, even sitting in this room. But, you know, before you think that I'm coming here to wag my finger, let me tell you about the failings that I've seen in my own life in hospitality, even somebody understanding this. Hospitality is not easy because we wish for it to be nice and clean, and it is never either of those things. We had somebody in this group who was living in their car. Lena and I had a hard discussion about whether we can offer shelter to that person in our house. We struggled with that decision. We struggled with that decision for so many reasons. None of them, I think, were good reasons. We still struggled. How long would they stay? What would they do when we weren't there? What if they took something from us? What if we lost our privacy? What if we couldn't be the way we are at home because somebody was there now? That's a struggle with hospitality. And I'm not proud of that struggle. But those are the real issues that I say we'll rub up against when I say our heart is laid bare. Because what does it say about us when we struggle with that? That we do value privacy maybe over and above the discipline that it takes to be obedient. That we do value our possessions and we hold on to them much harder than we should. That we do value things like having a predefined boundary of knowing how long someone's going to stay. Like you pick them up from the airport, you go, how long are you staying? They go, till next Wednesday. You're like, good, I can live that long, all right? And then as soon as they're done, you're like, hey, I mean, if they stay till Friday, you'd be freaking out. Like, hey, it's like two days after Wednesday. What's going on? Did you miss the flight? That lays bare our own struggle. A number of years ago, we had somebody in our group who had been locked up in prison. And I had to struggle again with myself. Because as an attorney, it sounded silly that I had never visited a prison ever. We know that Christ commands us to visit those who are incarcerated. And I thought, how strange it is that I have never been to visit anyone in prison. And you would think that I would at least know somebody who'd been locked up sometime. 
When I was in law school, I actually took a class called Juvenile Justice. And our professor, our professor was a guy who went to all of the youth authority camps. He went to juvenile detention centers. And he found people who he thought were really had promise if they could just get out of the prison system in some way. And he advocated for their release. And when they were released, he didn't stop there. He brought them home. He brought hardened gang youth. He brought people who'd done a lot of crazy things into his own house. And I remember hearing about it from his son. His son was my roommate. And he would tell me about what it was like growing up, not knowing who was going to be in the room next door from month to month. And the struggles that he had growing up in a house where his dad seemed to care so much more about bringing people in from the prison camps so that he could give them a second chance and find a place to enroll them in school. And here I was taking this juvenile justice class with his dad. And one of the assignments was you had to visit prison. And I figured out a way to get out of it. I wrote a paper instead. Because I thought that would just be easier than actually going in there. So a number of years ago, with one of our own was there, I was challenged. And as a commitment to just even learning this small part of hospitality, I went. One more verse. In Luke 14, Jesus says these words. He's at a banquet, and Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they in might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Look at this part right here. What Jesus was saying is, you invite close friends and relatives and rich neighbors, they will reciprocate and you get your payment. You get your reward because they've reciprocated. But I'm telling you, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the stranger to you. Invite those people. What Jesus is basically saying is, I don't want you to reciprocate or expect reciprocity I want you to do without expecting anything, and secondly, do to those who actually cannot repay you. And so when we come to start to define what hospitality is, hospitality really is a love for those who cannot give back, a love for the stranger in your midst. Actually, the roots of the word hospitality come closest to the love of stranger. That is actually what it means. And I want you just to take a quick vision for a second of a world that didn't have hotels, didn't have restaurants, didn't have any of the travel lodges, didn't have inns. A world where basically if you left the comfort of your village to go anywhere else, you were at the mercy of the people that were going to receive you. So if you traveled just from one town to the next, you could knock on the door of anyone's home. And the expectation was that they would invite you in, unannounced. Maybe their kid was scurrying out the back to go back to the back fields or something and grab some food, but unannounced. If you were traveling just through the town, that you could knock and ask for food and water. 
Because how else were you going to get it? Where else were you going to find it? And here Jesus is even talking about the practice of among the people in your community. When you open up your home, when you open up a banquet and you invite people, the expectation was if you invited them, what were they going to do? They were going to invite you. In fact, in many cultures, you think twice before deciding who to invite because they're going to invite you back. You actually sit down and decide, do we want to be friends with that family? Because as soon as I invite them, they've got to invite me, and then I've got to invite them, and then it just goes on and on and on. So you actually think, do I want to even kick off the invitation? Because then we're bounded together. It just there really isn't a way to get out of this. Here Jesus is saying, I know your practice. Your practice is to invite people of influence. So they'll invite you because they have to, and then you're among influential people. He's saying, don't do that. My comment would be this. Many times we think the response to hospitality is gratitude. And I want to tell you that most traditionally, the response to hospitality is reciprocity. So I put these words up here just for us to look at them. A lot of times we think that when someone is hospitable to you, you say thank you. But actually the correct response has always been, when someone is hospitable to you, you return the favor back. Now, notice Jesus is saying, don't do that. So why would I even advocate reciprocity when he's saying, don't reciprocate or expect reciprocity. Just do it, and do it for the people who cannot repay you. Why am I even talking about it? Because it's one of those things where unless we understand what we're not supposed to do, we don't really understand what he's saying. And here what I'm saying is it's hard to get us to say you should learn how to give up reciprocity and move to a hospitality that it really embraces everyone, even those who can't pay you back, when we're speaking usually to people who don't quite understand reciprocity. And so one of the tasks we have to do is first just describe it as we started to tonight. Like, how is hospitality normally practiced? And then add the tweak, which is, and Christ says to us as my followers, don't even expect that. Do it for those who cannot even do it in return. Yeah. I just have kind of a question. I really am kind of envious of your upbringing with having this just kind of ingrained in you to be hospitable to strangers, to anybody. But for those of us who maybe haven't grown up with that, how would you... How would you learn about that? How would you kind of like dip your toe in the water and start to experience that? I'm hoping that that's the question we're going to answer together. And the reason I say that is because there's no easy first step. Every step you take is going to be hard. For example, letting people into your home can be dangerous, right? You could let somebody into your home and it's not just a matter of them walking away with something. Like they could hurt you, right? And so even practitioners of hospitality who live in communities intentionally focus on being hospitable to people have ways that they structure that so they can at least meet people in a more neutral space, learn more about them before they just bring them right in. So that's one of the things I, I don't want to just cop out on the question and say, like, oh, it's these two things or I don't have an answer. It's more like we have to figure out those steps together because what works for us here is going to be a little bit different. I mean, we do live in private homes. If you called out for help, maybe nobody would even come, right? Those kinds of things are practical concerns, right? The other practical concerns are like resources, like where do I get 
the ability to do this, right? And, and what about people who overstay or abuse their welcome and those things? And all of these things, most of the people who deal with this every day say, there are some things to mitigate those things. And so you should at least know about those things before you just dive right in and say, okay, now I'm going to do it. Because you have to at least consider that there are problems with it, right? And it's never easy. And all the people who do it say, it's just never easy. I hope that at least answers how we might create a framework for it. But I think the hardest part is starting even with ourselves, right? So I wouldn't expect you to be able to go immediately and offer like all this hospitality to a stranger until you're able to do it probably within the people around you and then slowly learn to let that go. And that really is, like if I saw that, that would thrill my heart. That even in this group, we could start to see that and go, okay, hopefully now that it's not only been modeled but taught, like that will continue and then you'll go on and do it with people that are outside the community. But I think it begins by modeling it within. Yes? I was just gonna say this, even with the upbringing like your own, um, coming from a similar, not as strict or as religious as that or traditional as that is, um, it, it's hard for me to look at and go as a product of that and go, well, that's just natural, that's just normal. You know, I fight with that all the time. It's, do I invite them in and give them something to drink? I know that's what I should do, but do I? You know, I think that's, even, even if you... You, there's a there's a right and wrong to do it. And that's where my my struggle is. It's, I know it's right to do, and yet still fail at it. And I would say knowing your family, by the way, as long as I have, like your family are among some of the most hospitable people I know, right? But yet it's still it's still a struggle to be able to determine like where is the line and do I do that or not, just like you're describing. So I would say that even when it's been shown to you or even when you grew up with that kind of understanding, you still struggle. And, and the struggle is clear. It's because we want our stuff and we want our safety. We want our privacy and we want, you know, a lot of those things. Yes? Um, I know that, like, the, like defining hospi uh, hospitality will go on like, as we continue with this, but um, would you say that, I mean, I guess as we sort of as the definition of that or trying to collect a definition of that, like, that that would be the same for everybody? I mean, obviously it's different time to time, but like, because even we've talked about that each of us are different and like, um, yeah, I just feel like, I, I don't know, like, that some people maybe like, I, I feel like most of the definition of hospitality we're looking at is opening up your home and giving food and shelter. Like, um, and yeah, it could be other things as well, like, um, you know, like some people like don't have a home to offer, like, and not just leaving their homeless, but like if they're staying with their parents and it's not their choice to do, or if like, or like they don't have extra food to do this, or and I'm not even saying just from that perspective, but I'm also thinking like, what would be best, like, what someone would be better at doing, like, I, I'm not really sure, like, is hospitality specifically, like, no, this is what hospitality is, and we all need to be doing it, or no, it's sort of different. Does that make sense? It does. Do you want to respond? Um, sure, maybe. I wonder if hospitality can kind of be seen as um, sharing, like what you have with another person. You know, again, with the idea of private and like what I have is mine, it's not yours, that clear boundary that sometimes we have between me and another person. But instead, like hospitality could mean 
like, hey, what I have is yours, you know, and, and so, yeah, if you don't have a house or a car or food, but maybe you have something that you can have to offer. Okay, let me go further a little bit too. One of the things we're going to see is that one of the ironies of hospitality in practice is the people who have the least give the most. Practitioners of hospitality always report the same thing. So do people who travel to other countries. They go to places where you can't imagine the condition coming from America, and yet you find more people willing to give everything they have, even though it's so little, right? So that's one thing. But in the practice of it, of course, if you don't have a house, you can't really invite people into somebody else's house, right? So there are limits. And I think that it's not going to look identical in practice. It's going to be fairly, though, standard in definition. A lot of hospitality does involve meals. For some reason, it's always been part of that tradition. And there's important reasons why sharing meals is important, not just for hunger, but literally for equating people together and doing things. But I'll give you a, a quick, quick, quick clue to where we're going next week, but I'm not going to go there. Matthew 25 gives the best definition of hospitality. And when Jesus was describing hospitality from Matthew 25's perspective, he was talking about, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Right? I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. Those, that is the definition. That's the best definition we have. And then he adds on top of it, and whatever you did for them, you did for me. And this image, we, we miss it sometimes, because literally this is exactly what a traveler would do. He would knock on the door, and then you would let him in. You would feed him, you would clothe him, you would, all those things. So we're going there next week, but that's just the way that it is a little bit more of a standard definition because we're given such a strong example of what it means. And before you ask the next question, let me just add one more thing that I want to say. It's very tempting for us to believe in our churches that there's such a thing as a gift of hospitality. It's one of the spiritual gifts, mm -hmm. right? And if you take a spiritual gifts inventory, I was actually going to do this before tonight, and I couldn't get there in time. I want to go back and look at the questions one more time because I, I'm willing to bet, and I, I'll say this now, and maybe next week I'll revise it if I'm wrong, but I'm willing to bet that the questions that lead to hospitality are things like, do you like to have people over? Do you like to feel like, right? It's those things. It's like literally like the Betty Crocker hospitality. And so even the definition of it has led people to think, well, I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I'll leave that for the people that do. I think that based on what I was just talking about, stepping forward here in Luke 14, and next week we'll talk about Matthew 25, hospitality is just, it's defined and given to the church. And there isn't like, well, but it's not really my spiritual gifting. It's like, well, that may be. <laughs> you know, just like some people might have the spiritual gift of prayer or giving, but that doesn't excuse Christians from praying and giving, right? So that's kind of why I think there's a more standard definition to it. And lastly, I'll add, we will struggle in this series with resources. Hospitality takes resources. The true answer among a lot of what I'm finding, and I've always kind of felt this way, is if we're going to practice hospitality, we need to take seriously the ability that God gives us to have a resource to give it. We can't, as a cop-out, just like we say, I don't have the gift of hospitality, also say, well, I don't really have much, right? Because people who have very little give, and we're to be industrious with what God has given us so that we can take care of others and practice hospitality. That doesn't mean you have to go buy a house. Krista? Um, as you were talking, I was also thinking about, okay, so why don't we... Um, why aren't we more hospitable? And I think 
there's probably several several reasons, but I think one of them I wonder is um, in our culture the value of time and just this feeling I know I have sometimes of just like going from one thing to the next. And I think throughout the Bible we see that the value of relationships is a lot higher. So when I think about like trying to be more hospitable, it's like, okay, well maybe um, it's about putting the relationships higher than that value of time. And I mean, even saying that, it's really hard to live out, but I, I just wonder if maybe that's kind of the reason why, or an area where we could get better at is kind of just like reducing that value of time that our culture really presses in on us. And instead like, okay, relationships are more important than maybe what I can create with the time that I have. And the response is usually what we call margin. If you have no time because you've lived at the margin, you shoehorn your life just to barely fit it in, then I can't come to you with a breakdown or with a problem or with a need of a, anything because you can't fit me in. I'm actually going to be a nuisance to you. I could be a serious annoyance or something that really you don't want to deal with. I think if you had a lot more time on your hands, you could maybe fit me in, right? And you could do some of those things. Some of it is endemic in our culture, but we cop out there as well. Like, we let it happen. We let our resources be taken to the margin to where we're living at, our, at the edge. No margin at all. And our time. And then we just say there's simply no room, right? So actually one of the books that I'm reading about this subject is called Making Room. And I don't think it just means making room like having a room made up. It means making room like in your life, in your resource, in your time, in every way, so that we could allow this to take place. Megan. I, I liked what you had to say. It's interesting because we were at church this morning and they were talking about idolatry and how kind of like all sinful rooms started with idolatry. And when I think about this, I think about my life, I feel like the biggest thing to me that keeps me from being hospitable is feeling like my life and my desires and my fun and my goals and all that trump anyone else. And I hate that. But at the same time, like I kind of consciously choose to do that every single day. And so, I don't know. So I, I think to your point about time, I think that that's probably something that there is a lot of room for us just to learn how to die to ourselves and to like welcome the stranger who's taking us away from whatever our life was at that moment. And I, I guess I can already tell it's going to be a tough series, you know, to like really penetrate because that's, that's like reorienting your life. Well, I, I said it would be easy to get very hard to actually implement, right? Last comment, right? Yeah, I was going to say that like in terms of my instant thing is like I'm a college student, I don't have resources. Um, I don't have extra money, I live in a really small apartment, but I happen to live with someone who I can call out a little bit, who's extremely good at hospitality and living with her has shown me how she always feeds people. It's never even a question. She always makes time for people. It's not even a question. And just watching her has shown me that it's an excuse. Like, really, it's an excuse to say that you don't have it. And, like, that's really convicting for me to think about how I've watched you do these things and haven't implemented them, but I've seen, I've seen how it's practically possible. I know how it's done because I see it done almost every day in my apartment, in my kitchen. Okay. So. Let me close with one practical thing from today 
There's going to be many more, but just one that I want to touch on and then leave. Don't make Exodus a program. And the way that you can do that is by understanding and beginning to reciprocate hospitality with one another. For three years, we've invited people into our home, and I've intentionally decided that I need to be the one that prepares the food to also model that kind of servanthood. Some of you, I think, believe that it's a program. And it's okay, because we need to learn how to break those things by first identifying them. I've actually sometimes wondered, do people think they're doing us a favor by showing up? Like, hey, they're having a thing. Or Lena said to me, maybe they just think that we do this because we're the leaders. Leaders are supposed to do this. They're supposed to open up their home. They're supposed to cook. They're supposed to do stuff like this. And people just show up because they're supposed to. And I want you to understand that for us to really integrate together as, an, as a community of people who love one another and care for one another and are hospitable to one another, we have to start to let that go. We have to start to understand that it's not a program. It's not something that you have to go to. You're not really, as I could even say if I could be so bold, you're not doing us a favor by showing up to the program to make us feel good that like one more person is there. We're, we want you there because we love you. And we want you in return to share that love with one another. And we want that to begin to spread because that's when community you know, actually goes all the way. When it's not just a program, when it's not just something you do, well, it's Wednesday, we go to this thing. It's when we love to be in each other's presence, when we can't get enough of each other, when we are giving out of our whole heart to one another in such a way that it isn't mine or yours or theirs, it's all being shared together. When we look at that picture of the early church sharing like that, we're always talking about it in the context of giving and generosity, but it's hospitality. It's that way where really there isn't a mine and a yours, it's ours. And we're trying to do that very hard. It's, it's a struggle, I know, for all of us. But that's the one practical thing that I would say. Begin to consider not just gratitude, but reciprocity with one another. Begin to love one another the way that you've been loved in the same way. And that will begin to be contagious. And then over time, we can start to bring in people we don't even know. But it has to start with people you do know. Because if you can't do that with the people you know, it's going to be nearly impossible to do it genuinely with people you don't. If you don't love the people and do it with people here, when you start to do it to strangers, it'll just be that act of service where you're just making yourself feel good by just doing things for other people to just assuage your own sense of obligation. It won't be genuine hospitality. All right? Let's leave it there and close up in prayer. I know that's a little heavy for a starter. But let's let God get us going to the next place, and next week we pick it up from there. God, I come to you in humility because I know that nothing, nothing, nothing that we have to offer is ours in the first place. That all the hospitality that anyone could muster all comes from you in the first place. You love us before we even have a chance to love you in return or love anyone else. And Lord, you know how imperfectly we love you, how imperfectly we love others, how we try so hard to not love ourselves. And yet that seems to be the thing we do the best. Lord, help us in this place. You showed us a method of hospitality that looked far beyond us. But Lord, we might have to just begin here to understand it. Continue to wrestle with our hearts this week. Let these words ring in our hearts, not just our minds. 
Bring us back to a place where we're hungry to change because you've planted it in us from the inside. Pray this in your name. Amen.